drugs, I'm addicted to the pain though, yeah I've been on it for a while, don't know how to put it down Gotta have it, it's a habit, I'ma break though I just wanna take a hit, keep saying I'ma quit Keep saying I'ma leave, but I stay though I just want a little fix, I don't wanna take a risk I don't like it when I drift from the safe zone But lately I've been thinking I'ma have to Letting go of things that I'm attached to World don't stop just because I'm in a bad mood You don't know a love until you holding on to something that you can't lose That's why I'm trying to get it together Sleeves up, putting work in, trying to be better I like to rap, but I ain't gonna do it forever Forget the charts, I'ma focus in a hold in my head A moment I get up, I just wanna know I'm doing my best And if I'm not, Lord forgive me, you can have the regrets Cause I can feel the water trying to go up over my head Most of my life I always felt like I was holding my breath Holding my chest, to be honest, so I'm tired of it Looking for something in my life to be inspired again I like to walk around and act like I don't know what it is But I know what it is, I just never wanna come in Running for change. I'm looking for change. I'm searching for change. I'm looking for change. I just want, I just want change. I don't like new things Got a lot of mood swings Oh, you wanna tell me something negative? I don't wanna hear what you think Yeah, tossing in my sleep Every night for like two weeks Thinking about how I could've done this or done that better Can't help it, that's just me Lies. That's just me avoiding the change Yeah, it's probably why the issues ain't going away Yeah, it's probably why I always sit around and complain Telling myself that I ain't never getting out of this place Out of my face if you're telling me I need to be different That's the issue though, I'm always insecurity driven Taking the wrong turns, acting like I know where I'm headed Waiting for something bad to happen, I can snap any minute I need you Yeah, it's kinda easy to say, right? But difficult to do when I feel like I hate life And everyone around me kinda thinks I'm a great guy But I don't ever think it, so I think I'm a fake liar It's something that I know I should do I'm a little uncomfortable to tell you the truth But to be honest with you lately, I got nothing to lose See, I've always been full of pain, but now I'm making some room Looking for change I'm looking for change I'm searching for change I'm looking for change I just want, I just want I need a moment of silence I don't like change, but I'll try it I don't wanna hear what I should or I shouldn't do. Why are they always defiant? See, all my emotions are liars. All my emotions are violent. They don't want freedom to find me. Mention their name and everybody riots. Yeah. That's why I'm checking my vitals. They keep on working, but I know. Breathing don't mean you're alive, so. I bag up all of my trash and walk out on my tightrope. Positive thoughts are my rivals. I'm trying to be on their side, though. Should I feel comfortable? I don't. Last year I felt suicidal. This year I might do something different, like talking to God. I'm looking for I'm searching for I'm looking for So that's not our usual intro, obviously, but Tyler, this week we had to do something special, the entire song, because that is a message, Tyler, you really felt people needed to hear. Wow, 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 what a song by a man known as NF. Um, I, I just, I, I was listening to that song the other week, and I don't even know, I, uh, I, I heard the lick in the song where it said, 
that last year he felt suicidal and this year he felt he's going to do something differently talking to God. And I'm just like, man, that, that really, really hits me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the complete sinner's guide. My name is Tyler Fowler. I'm your host with me as always is Noah J. Chalaya. And today we have a really, really interesting topic. Uh, it was actually addressed last week in, in the abortion show and uh, and it was brought up by our guest Jamie Jeffries and, and what was interesting is that she said the context of it all was she she was talking to you know we, we asked her if you had two minutes to tell somebody you know that's had an abortion that's either post-abortive or you know considering an abortion what would you tell them if you had two minutes and she she gave a beautiful you know description of what she would say to someone uh that's in that situation but at the very end she said and i would tell that person that jesus died for you so i i heard that <clears throat> and granted you know it, it's it, it's a very interesting it's a very controversial subject to uh, talk about and that's the fact of, di or, or that's the question of, did Jesus die for every single person? And that's the question that we're going to address today. You guys can check out the other shows at www.completecenters.com. You can hit me up if you if you would like to be a guest on the show, or if you would like to hear a topic discussed. You can email me and tell me what that is over at completecenter at gmail.com. We also got a Patreon set up, so this is brand new. We also got a Patreon set up. So whenever we get our ducks in a row and actually get in a groove of you know putting out these uh, podcasts and stuff, what we're going to do is <clears throat> release them on Patreon a day before or a day or two before we release them. Uh, on the website over at uh, completecenters.com. So definitely get on board with that. Um, I would never beg people for money. Uh, that's not what we're doing this. We're still going to do it, even if we don't get a dime. Uh, th that's not the point. But pray if you feel convicted, if you feel you know led to do that, be sure to do that um, over at patreon.com forward slash center. And, and we're going to dig in to this subject, the L- of tulip, so to say, and that—that's really the subject we're going to get into today. Um, it, it's known in the uh, in the tulip acronym. It's known as the L as as limited atonement. The uh, the subject for today. Um, I personally uh, like to use the word definite atonement because it just seems like what what I believe is that something actually happened on the cross. God, Jesus actually took the sins of his people, his elect people. We're we're going to be using definitions like elect and justification, sanctification today. Um, so for those who don't know the elect, we believe that God, the Father, has predestined a people before the foundation of the world, that Jesus actually came to die for those people in an exchange forgiveness of sins and righteousness would be granted to them, and then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit seals those people in time by, place, by indwelling them and sealing them for the day of adoption. So we believe that it's a, uh, a a process, that salvation is a process, something that started before the foundations of the earth and is continuing this day and will continue well until Jesus comes back. So with me, I've got one of my friends from Facebook, Mr. J.D. Martin. You can find him over at the Theology Corner on YouTube, and he, he's got a pretty cool show on there that talks theology about pretty much what we're going to be uh, talking about today. So J.D., what is going on, my man? How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, man. So how you, how you been? Like, tell people about yourself. What's your about? Yeah. Um, so uh, again, I appreciate being on the show. Uh, my name is JD Martin. I run the Theology Corner on that channel. It's a YouTube channel. Um, on that on that channel, we talk about all kinds of different the- theological discussions. And what I try to do is get uh, people from various uh, backgrounds and, and various theological positions. Even some non-Christians. I had a conversation with a Muslim just the other day. And, and just talk through the issues, um, not just talking past each other, but, but really uh, listening to each other and, and just being able to model good dialogue. I especially, I like talking to non-Christians, but I especially like talking to Christians because on the social media, uh, Facebook and all that kind of stuff, people get real nasty. And I mean, it's, it's weird. They want a dialogue, but then behind the keyboard, this, this new personality comes out and it's just real nasty and it's not very helpful. So sure. what I try to do is get those people um, who, you know, for the most part are good Christian people. I don't know what happens on the keyboard and what happens to social media and get them to come on the channel and talk to me and we just dialogue back and forth and show that we can talk about these issues without talking over each other, without being nasty, but really listening and, and wrestling through the issues in charity. So that's what the, the, the channel is all about. And, um, and it's just great to be here. Sure, it seems like that people, and you know, I think we're all guilty of it at some aspect. I know I am, you know, of being nasty behind the keyboard or not, you know, treating conversations without grace, so to say. And the thing about it is, is the Bible says that, you know, we're going to be held accountable for every single little idle word spoken. And I like to remind people, including myself, I tell myself more than anybody, I promise, that, you know, that, that applies to what you type as well. And we're, we're going to be held accountable for the words that we speak to each other. Um, so about that. So whenever, you know, it's important. And I think that's, you know, something special about this show, per se, because I don't know if you've listened to any other episodes or not, J.D. I know you're, pre- you're probably pretty busy with your show. But we bring on people of different, you know... I don't think I've had, I think everybody that I've had has been Christian so far, but we're definitely looking to expand, you know, atheists to Muslims to Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, um, just people on a daily. Um, but I, but I get what you're saying and it's important to realize that we can have these discussions without disagreeing. JD and I actually believe the same whenever it comes to limited or definite atonement that we're going to discuss today. But my guest last week, if you guys haven't uh, checked out that show yet, it was on the subject of abortion. Um, Jamie Jeffries, she was really, really cool. You can find her at the Pro-Life Wife on Facebook. But she said something, and unfortunately we don't have the clip, um, but you can check it out on that show. She said that uh, basically if she was talking to somebody about abortion, whether post-abortive or whether they were thinking about having an abortion, that she would specifically tell that person that, quote-unquote, Jesus died for you. Um, And I know that's a common, big, big common, uh, you know, thing that happens in the world today. Um, That's a way a lot, a lot of evangelism is done. Um, to tell people that, you know, well, Jesus died specifically for you. And I think, well, that's that's going to be the subject that we address today. Um, J.D., uh, I know, you, like you said, you were Reformed. How long have you, first of all, r- rough estimate, how long do you think that you've been, you know, saved or Christian? Yeah. And when, how long did it take you to realize that Reformed theology, you know, whether the nuances, you know, differentiate from original to what you hold? Um, when, when did that become a factor in your life? Yeah, so I have uh, a testimony uh, from Gangs of Christ, which is on my channel um, as well, and I probably need to uh, do a whole episode 
uh, about that. I have it also on sermon audio that I've done. So I remember the day, the moment, the second that I got saved. I'm actually in the very room that I got saved, probably very close to the very spot uh, that I got saved. Um, what is it now? Almost 12 years ago. Um, no, yeah, almost 12, 13 years ago now. So yeah, I absolutely remember getting saved and um, uh, seeing the flames, recognizing I was headed to hell if I were to die in my sins, and recognizing that Jesus Christ offered me uh, salvation if I would merely put my faith in Him. And I remember seeing Him as beautiful and lovely and, and worthy of all of my allegiance and just getting on my knees and, and repenting of my sins and telling God, if, you know, if you'll take me, you can have me. And, and I, I can almost say I remember the effects of regeneration as they occurred because after I prayed that prayer, my life has never been the same. Even the world actually looks almost tangibly different from that moment on. So, yeah, I remember exactly when I got saved. Um, and then it was in the, the whole testimony about that, and I was involved in gangs and drugs and everything. And so I had gotten into so much trouble that I was actually being um, kicked out of my house and being sent off to live with my, my grandmother who lived in Kentucky, and I was in Maryland at the time. Um, and so I was, being, I was being sent eight hours away. And so here I am, a baby Christian, with, uh, with a study Bible, the MacArthur Study Bible, going yeah. off and uh, heading <laughs> over to... Um, to Kentucky, and, and right away I started uh, finding a love for theology. I started getting into polemics and, and uh, defending the faith against atheism and, and, and extreme charismatics and just everything, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, all of that. And in that process, uh, I remember um, hearing about these crazy Calvinists and how these guys were near cultish and they, they survived around the internet and you need to stay away from them. And so I just put them as another group, to, you know, another bunch of crazies. Um, and I remember um, coming back, I started doing well, and, and then I was allowed to actually return within a year back to my parents' house. And I remember telling my dad about my ministry and how I was debating with all these. Actually, I, I forgot to mention, I was debating with Catholics a lot back then, too. And I mentioned, oh, yeah, and by the way, there's these crazy Calvinists that, uh, you know, out there and that, you know, I haven't debated with them. I'm staying away from them because I heard they're really dangerous. And he looked me in the eye and said, you know, you know, I'm a Calvinist too. And I thought like, hmm. what in the world's going on here? Uh, you know, I mean, I guess you're a heretic uh -oh. too. I mean, it was even like him saying, you know, I'm a Jehovah Witness too. I'm like, oh my goodness. I, I had no idea. Uh, it, and so um, we ended up getting in a, a very unhelpful and unfruitful conversation where he was trying to convince me of Calvinism and I was arguing with him uh, vigorously. And then he, hmm. you know, at the end of that conversation, he says, well, uh, what Bible do you have there? I said, well, New King James. He said, no, no, whose study Bible is that? I said, well, this is a MacArthur study Bible. He says, you know, he's a Calvinist too. <laughs> and I thought, well, I guess he's a, he's a heretic as well. I mean, you guys have a bunch <laughs> of heretics everywhere. Um, and he, you know, he said, well, before you, before you call us a bunch of heretics, why don't you, uh, you know, really, uh, study and, and find out about the view. And so he gave me some tapes, um, with MacArthur defending total depravity. And I remember listening to those tapes, and I was blown away about how much scripture. This wasn't philosophy and none of that. It was just pounding me with scriptures that all seemed to be suggesting that man was uh, totally depraved. So my respect for Calvinism as a potential position went massively up at that point. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't going to be simply convinced by a sermon, a, a lecture. So what I did was try to be a good Berean and picked up the Bible and from, you know, starting my favorite book was Matthew at the time, starting from Matthew and going all the way to Revelation and, and just asking God, is this what your word teaches? Mm -hmm. And I remember that uh, everything started making sense to me. All of the scriptures, especially in John 
and, and Romans that I remember reading the first for the first time and saying, these are really complicated and difficult matters, right? And, and they were difficult because they sounded like they were teaching Calvinism, but I knew <laughs> Calvinism was necessarily false. So I yeah, couldn't figure out right. what they meant. And, and, and so now as I was looking through the scriptures, then it was like a light bulb went off and I eventually um, converted to Calvinism um, after, after reading John chapter 3. See, we would... Oh, so I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, John chapter 3 was the thing that uh, eventually said, you know what, that's it. Especially John chapter 3, 19 and 20, that I was just like, well, this is what God's Word that teaches, so and I've, I believe Calvinism ever since. Right, and it seemed like we, we have a lot of the same backstory, really, um, except, you know, because my first Bible was a John MacArthur study Bible, the New American Standard, and, uh, and but but the tapes that I got, uh, have you ever heard of S. Lewis Johnson? I haven't, actually. No? Okay, so S. Lewis Johnson, he taught at the Believer's Chapel in Dallas, Texas. He also taught at Dallas Seminary, uh, I believe, for a little bit. And I, I'm not kidding, I just got a package the other day in the mail, um, uh, about 3,000 hours of S. Lewis Johnson and his teachings, and you know, Calvinism and stuff in a nutshell. And it's like, you know, I, I was skeptical at first, to be honest with you, because all of my life I'd heard, you know, if you come down to the aisle, if you pray this prayer, you know, come down to the altar, you'll be saved, and this, that, and the other. And I'm just like, well, I've did this like 500 times now, man, and that's whenever I had my little rebellion streak. But it wasn't until, you know, whenever I understood that I had to trust what Jesus did, you know, for me, right? Mm -hmm. It was like that's whenever that quote-unquote light bulb came on. And that's what we're going to do today. We don't have a lot of time. We, we only have 30 minutes really to dig into this. But I think it's so important. And for those who are just tuning in listening, I have J.D. Martin with me, um, and we're going to dig into definite or limited atonement um, today. And I know some people think, well, automatically, well, you know, those that, that dirty teaching, blah, blah, blah. That I've heard it actually explained as demon uh, doctrines of demons, um, so to say. But I, I wish people would give a fair shake, you know, to what we believe, to what we understand, um, because we're actually, I, I, I get asked a lot, you know, well, are you willing to have an open mind? And, and I think to myself, you know, half jokingly, well, I believe that God incarnated um, human form. I believe that he lived on this earth. I believe he died and rose from the grave and that I, all I have to do is trust him to be reconciled to him. I said, I have a pretty open mind. <laughs> really, I, I think I do. Um, but yeah, uh, but, so I'm always willing to listen to what people have to say, and I just, I, I want to give, you know, I want to take this platform, this opportunity to be able to express what we believe, um, even the nuances in between, um, because nobody believes exactly the same. So to, to start... I really want to look at Ephesians 1, and we're just going to skim these real quick. Um, for those listening, dig in. Dig into these scriptures. J.D. and I have both done, and we've come to the same conclusions um, when looking at these. But we see in Ephesians 1, especially in verse 3, where it says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight in love. He did this by predestining in us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us in his dearly, Beloved Son, in him we have redemption 
through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And you see, so I said a while ago that salvation is a process. And it started, we see here, you know, before the foundations of the world. In verse 4, he says, For he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. And that literally means before time, before earth, before matter existed. Time, space, and earth existed. And, and he, ha- I don't know, because I get asked a lot of time, well, if we didn't exist beforehand, then how in the world could he have a personal relationship with us? And I don't know, like, I'll put it like this, my wife's pregnant right now. God knows that baby. God's going to knit and form that baby in the womb according to however he wants. I don't know how that's going to turn out. I don't know how he does that, but he does it. And I think we have to start with this, there is a mystery to God whenever we talk about, you know, stuff like this, especially theology. Um, so there, there's going to be things that we don't completely understand, but the, I think we can grasp and you know have a good concept and understanding of it. And we see, I think it's indisputable, um, and J.D., you can comment on this, that we have been chosen, those who will place their faith in Christ, have been chosen beforehand, before the foundations of the world. What would you say if somebody asked you about that? Yeah, I think that it is a um, it is a glorious doctrine if we understand the the context. So I remember when I first heard about it, um, I, I revolted at the idea. It was just it was sure. terrible to me because I thought it was what was happening is God was forcefully stopping people from believing and forcefully causing people to believe. It just sounded uh, terrible uh, to me, um, but but it was uh, through MacArthur and through my own study that I realized that this doctrine only makes sense if man is totally depraved. Exactly. Right? Otherwise, God is forcefully stopping people from believing, which is it makes it a terrible doctrine. But if it's exactly. true that all men left to their own free will, even after hearing the gospel call, that wonderful gospel call that we all love, right, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he raised uh, from the grave, according to, uh, to the scriptures, that if we would put our trust in him, we would be saved. If it's mm-hmm. true that everyone would hear that gospel call, according to John three nineteen and 20, would say, no, thank you, I love my sin, I'd rather continue to be in the darkness rather than coming to the light, then God, in my mind, has two options now. He can condemn all of us for being ungrateful sinners, or he can decide to save some of us, or potentially he could decide to save all of us. And so God has decided that he was going to save ungrateful sinners like us, and he chose us not because we were better than anyone else. Some of us were worse. Think about the Apostle Mm -hmm. Paul. I've never you know, murdered a Christian or something like that. Uh, Paul did. Um, and, and so he would, he would have grace on me who would never choose him. That, that's the, the background and understanding of this doctrine. And even if you disagree with it, I would just say at least understand that that's what we are saying. And that's why um, we can view this as a glorious doctrine and we can sing about this, right? We can, this doctrine, this theology can result into doxology because we can praise God and say, God, if it wasn't for you, I would never have chosen you, but you chose me. You first loved me, and now I um, was um, responded in faith because of that. So I think it's a glorious doctrine. It's a wonderful doctrine, um, and you know, even if those who disagree with it, how many times do you hear people represent it like this? Oftentimes they're making a caricature and, and then and knocking it down. So at least don't immediately say this is impossible. This is blasphemous um, without fully understanding it. Right, and it, and that's the thing. I think we all start out with the presupposition that there are people in hell, unless you're a universalist, 
right? We, we understand that, there, that Jesus taught throughout Scripture that there will be people who are in this place of torment. Um, and, and depending on how long that is, is a different subject. But, but, but we agree that there will be a, a place like that where people who have failed to trust Christ go to. Um, so I think we start out with that presupposition. Now, now, J.D., you and I, we would start out with the presupposition that left to their own free will, because we believe in free will. That's the point that I was trying to make in the free will dialogue slash debate, um, that we do have free will, but left to that free will, we will always, 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 always choose to run from God instead of choosing to cling to him, especially in regards to salvation, but not only in regards to salvation, but in regards to everyday trust, right? The, the, the Bible yeah, says right. that there is not a sparrow that falls from the will of God. So whenever my eyes were open, whenever I was enlightened, I started to look at the world a bit differently and realized that, you know, nothing happens outside of God's will. There's everything, you know, working together for a divine purpose, for some kind of reason that is beyond us. And part of that was salvation, and part of that involves salvation. And salvation started, we believe, like I said, you know, from Scripture, especially in Ephesians 1-4, that God had chosen to save a particular people. He could have saved everybody. He chose not to, for whatever reasons, that ultimately glorify him, because in the very next verse it says, he did this by predestining us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of his will. Um, so he did it, why? Because he wanted to. Um, fairly simple, for a reason that we don't know. And part of that salvation process was God sending Jesus, his son, to die for sins, to literally, Second Peter 2.24 says, to literally take on the sins of those people, right? He says he, he did this for us. He took our sins upon himself. So he took those sins upon himself, paid the price literally, um, the, the, the wages of sin is death, and then the, the Holy Spirit, after his resurrection and ascension, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and, and, and with those elect people has, you know, sanctified them in the, in, in the sense of setting them aside to complete and, and to help with God's divine purpose. Um, now, so, so we agree that God has predestined a people beforehand. And, and I like what Dr. James White says. He says, you're, you're traditional four-point Calvinist, right? Um, he calls them Christmas Calvinists, Noel, right? Get it, limited atonement, Noel. <laughs> anyway, he says most of their problem is not with limited atonement. It's actually with unconditional election. And I don't know if you would agree with that, J.D., but it seems that that would be plausible, um, if not likely, to say, to say the least, that, you know, it seems that not people don't have a problem with Jesus dying for the people who are going to be saved, because I think even Arminians would say that. But at the same time, they add to that number and say, and he also died for those who are going to have to pay for their sins again. Um, is that what you make out of it? Because for me, and I don't mean to ramble, but it seems whenever somebody tells me that Jesus died for every single person without exception, it would seem to me that... Okay, so there's one time of paying for sins, and then once they stand before God in judgment, he says, yeah, I know your sins have been paid for already, but you're going to pay for them again because of the sin of unbelief, right? 
So, so what what do you make about that, JD? Yeah, I, I think that um, I think that you're you're right in the sense that I think that what's really controversial is total depravity and unconditional election, and those are really sure. those are really uh, twins in, in in the sense because what I tell people about is we all agree that man is depraved, right? I mean, everyone agrees with yeah. that man's depraved, but the question is how depraved is he? And I'll give you an analogy about someone being addicted to drugs, right? So a, a Pelagian would say that man is uh, depraved in, in the sense that he's addicted to drugs, but he freely chose to be addicted to drugs, and mm -hmm. he can uh, check. He can just decide to go cold turkey. He can say, you know what? I'm just tired of putting this needle in my arm. I'm done. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go cold turkey, and he can do it, and and that would be the regeneration uh, experience. Um, of conversion. The, uh, you can call them semi-Pelagian, or people don't like that term, so you can call them semi-Augustinians, or whatever. The non-reformed, the non-Calvinist would say that man is uh, addicted to drugs, and he can't just cold turkey it himself, but when there's an intervention that happens, right, when he's confronted by the gospel, when he's confronted by uh, the Holy Spirit's conviction, then there are certain people who will respond by checking themselves into the rehab facility and, and getting healed by the process of regeneration. So they can choose to cooperate or choose not to, and not only theoretically, not talking about capacity here, but in actuality, there will be people who some cooperate with that gospel call and some that don't. And that's the general non-Calvinist uh, view. The, the Calvinist says, and, and I like what you said, it's not where we deny free will. In, in this scenario of the drug addict, there's everyone has free will, okay? The question yep. is, what will they do with that free will? So the Calvinist says that the, that everyone is so addicted to drugs, and there's people out there like this, right, that they will not go into the rehab facility. Not only can they not get themselves off of the addiction, and even when they're confronted with this intervention of the Holy Spirit and the gospel and conviction and saying, come on, you know, come into the drug rehab to be rehabilitated. They say, no, thank you, I refuse to go. Or some, this is the apostate, will go, but never have an actual intention of being regenerate and start uh, making plans of how to get drugs into the, the drug rehab facility. Um, and, and so that's, again, how depraved is man. If man is uh, so depraved that he will always use his free will to reject the gospel, then we have to either we have to conclude that no one be saved, but yet the Bible suggests that people be saved, and so that's when we have to say, well, why was it that some were saved and some weren't? And that's where the doctrine of uh, unconditional election comes from. And so they they work together, um, and and sure. they all require how man will respond. I believe that this is the controversial. This is where all of the the battle really uh, should be fought in. Um, mostly is fought. What what happens though is limited atonement becomes like kind of the whipping boy uh, to attack Calvinism. It's it's considered kind mm -hmm. of like the weak point of Calvinism. And if we can knock down limited atonement, we will automatically uh, knock down um, the the other points of Calvinism. But I actually don't think that that logically follows. And I I, I would I disagree with some of my uh, Calvinist brothers here. Is they would say they they all logically uh, come together. You knock down one, everyone everything else falls. I don't actually believe that. I think that the, what what um, logically uh, must come together is total depravity, unconditional election, irresistible grace. Those are necessary. Now, there are logical ramifications like limited atonement, which makes sense with that system, right? And so is perseverance of the saints, but they aren't actually required for that system uh, itself to work. And and so um, when it comes to limited atonement, to me, here's the fundamental question, and you hit this. What did Christ do on the cross? It's really about the atonement itself. What happened on that cross? Did Jesus Christ actually take our sins on his body in the tree and vanquish them, and we come to experience that objective work when we believe? Is that what Christ did? If he did, we have to be universalist, or we have to believe in particular redemption, like you said, oh, definite atonement. I hate the term limited atonement. We have to. 
There, there's no other way. Otherwise, then how are you not, um, how is everyone not saved? Because your sins have been forgiven in Christ. Right. They have to be. You can say, right. well, and, he did everything but the, the sin of unbelief. That doesn't work because that's a sin. He took that right. on himself too. Right. Right, and, and I think right. that's the that you nailed it. I mean, I, I got so many points to hit on. A couple of weeks ago, we did a free will debate, and the, it was actually asserted that once man is saved, no, if you're listening, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but it, it was asserted that man can walk away at that point and leave his salvation. Um, I would say what the Apostle John said at that point. Um, they went out from us. Why? Because they were not of us. They were not regenerated. They were Judas. They were pre- uh, pretending, um, for whatever reasons, for for their their own selfish motives, whatever they may be. So so if someone did choose to walk away, I, I don't believe someone can, because I do believe in perseverance of the saints, because I believe that salvation starts ultimately with. God and not with us, and and you're right, man. You you nailed it, JD. You nailed it. What did Christ accomplish on the cross? I have a quote from John Owen. All my Calvinist brothers and sisters listening, they know they know this quote from John Owen. It says, "For whom did Christ die? The Father imposed His wrath, due unto, and the Son underwent punishment for either one, all the sins of all men, two, all the sins of some men." Or three, some of the sins of all men, in which case it may be said that A, if the last be true, the sum of the sins of all men, then Christ in, oh wait, I'm sorry. If the last be true, all men have some sins to answer for, and so none are saved. B, if the second be true, that all the sins of some men, that Christ died, that if the second be true, then Christ in their stead suffered for all the sins of all the elect, in the whole world, and this is the truth, or see, but if the first be true, uh, all the sins of all men, then why are not all men free from the punishment due unto their sins? You answer because of unbelief. I ask, is this unbelief a sin, or is it not? If it be, then Christ suffered the punishment due unto it, or he did not. If he did, why must that hinder them more than their other sins for which he died? If he did not, he did not die for all their sins. And that's Dr. John Owen. And, and, and it rings true, and that's the argument, it seems, that cannot be answered or rebutted in any kind of significant sense, is that if Christ did die for every single person like is stated, then why aren't all men in heaven? Because the, it seems there's a problem at that point, because you run into what's known as double jeopardy, where Christ mm-hmm. is paying for the sins, and then some people are paying for the sins again, and then people will say, "Well, what? A, well, the reason they didn't, you know, the, the reason they didn't receive that forgiveness is because they didn't believe." And I pose the question back: What about the people who did not know who Jesus was? Because it's not fair for those people because they ultimately didn't have a determining factor in whether to trust Christ or not. Why? Because they never heard of Him, and that, and, and I haven't had. An answer. I wish I would have answered the, or asked that on the free will debate, but but I thought of it late. Um, so I, I would pose that answer now, or ask that question now, in, in hopes to an answer for it. Um, you, you know, if one can be given at that point. And for those listening, you can either do that by commenting uh, below, or you know, sending me an email. <laughs> if you, anybody listening, if you want to contact me, hit me up at 
completecenter at gmail.com. Um, and if you guys are just tuning in, I have J.D. Martin, and we're talking about the uh, limited atonement, the L of Tulip, our definite atonement. Um, so, yes, and I think we have to look at Scripture. Um, I mean, we really have to, and I want to go to Isaiah 53. And just, I don't want to read it all, but I just want to start in verse 3 and read, and I want to ask sincerely, Whenever we read this, do we see Christ accomplishing something, or do we just make, or do we just see Him making something available for every single person? Not necessarily accomplishing anything, but only making it possible um, if man would so choose to accept it. Uh, verse three: He was despised and rejected by people, one who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness. People hid their faces from him. He was despised, and we considered him insignificant. But he lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain, even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God, and afflicted for something he had done. He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. All of us, all of us had wandered off like sheep. Each of us had strayed off his own path, but the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack him, and he was treated harshly and afflicted, but he did not even open his mouth like a lamb to the slaughtering block, like a sheep silent before her shears. I asked the question, did Christ accomplish something on the cross or not? Because if we look at this with the view that this is being accomplished for every single person in the world, without exception, we have to ask, why in the world are people in hell? I think we have an unjust God at that point because you're punishing people twice for the, for the sins that have supposedly already been accounted for. JD, do you want to respond or? Yeah, it would be my pleasure. Um, yeah, so this is actually what uh, convinced me of of limited atonement. So I limited atonement was I, I'm I'm a biblicist. I show me in the Bible. I, I want to yep. believe it because of the Bible. Don't give me some philosophical argument. Sure, that'll help me at some level. But if it's <laughs> not in the Bible, I'm not going to believe it. And sure. so um, I had a hard time with uh, limited atonement. Um, and, and I was always open to, you know, uh, being a, a four-point uh, Calvinist or whatever. I mean, if the Bible teaches unlimited atonement, i got to figure out how it fits, and I'm going to believe what the Bible teaches. But what tipped me over uh, into believing in limited atonement was Isaiah 53 and, um, and this, this quotation that's uh, quoted in Peter. And mm-hmm. I realized that the central question was, what did Christ do on the cross? And it seems to be, and according to this passage, he carried our weakness, right? He took our sorrows. He took our punishment, even our very sins, my sin of lying, my sin of stealing, of pride, my actual sins, those very sins that I would be punished individually, right? Not just a blob of sins. I would be punished individually for each one of these sins. It seems like that Christ has taken all of that away from me by placing it, well, God placing it in Christ. And so I realized that this, if this model of the atonement is true, you must believe in universalism, or you must believe in definite atonement. They just mm-hmm. necessarily follow. You have to rethink the atonement to get into unlimited atonement. This model of atonement will not fit, and this is why classic uh, Armenians rejected the penal substitutionary atonement model of, 
uh, the atonement and they went to government and moral influence and all that. And what yeah. you've had, interesting enough, historically is uh, people kind of uh, backsliding, I don't want to say backsliding, but drifting away from Calvinism and they have uh, they have left some of these doctrines, Perseverance of the Saints, which I would say has been changed to once saved, always saved, uh, has been left and, um, and they have held on to penal substitutionary atonement while believing in unlimited atonement. And I say, well, I'm glad that you want to remain biblical in that way, but then we're going to have to get an explanation. And that's what I want to hear. I want to hear an explanation of how someone can believe Christ actually took my very sins in his body on the tree and vanquished them, and yet here I am as an unbeliever, right, suffering for those very sins. Either they're vanquished or they're not vanquished. Either he took it on his body and, and made propitiation, or uh, he didn't. I, I, don't, I don't see um, the language of possible propitiation. And propitiation, yeah. for those who don't know, means uh, to satisfy the wrath, to appease the wrath. So, I mean, this is just a contradiction. If Christ uh, made appeasement on his body in the tree so that no longer the wrath of God is on me, well, how is the wrath of God still on me? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that's kind of um, it's where I come from and, and, and how I wrestle with this. And this is the text where it would convince me of a limited atonement, or at least, at the very least, say that this is a highly biblical case and not just a mere philosophical argument. Absolutely. I mean, I, I agree 100%, and I'm just looking up, actually, the verse that convinced convince me of a limited atonement. And it's one that's not actually uh, referenced a lot um, whenever it comes to this uh, kind of subject. But it's Romans 5.1, and it says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace. We have shalom, right? True peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the kicker, and this is what ties what JD just said into what I'm bringing up, is that if you don't have an actual appeasement, if the wrath of God still abides with on you, and this is the point that I was making whenever I said there are children of wrath and there are children of God. There are two types of people in the world in the Bible. We're going to be getting that into just a second. Um, John 8 and John chapter 9 and going into John 10, but Jesus clearly makes a distinction between children of the devil and children of Abraham or children of God. And there's this distinction that's being made. Um, but but, but the, what ties everything in together, and, and this is the question we must ask, is what did Jesus accomplish on the cross? And if it was appeasement, if that is true, if it's sincerely true, and we really do have peace with God now, that changes everything. It changes our state. It changes our nature at that point because the Bible says that we are ha, have been changed. We, we are now, we have a new nature, one that wants to please God. We now walk by the Spirit. All of that has changed. And it's for, it, it, Jesus, we'll put it like this. Christianity is not an exclusive religion. It, it's not. It's inclusive. Jesus made it inclusive when he said these words. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to me, or comes to the Father, but by me. Jesus made Christianity inclusive at that point, and it's limited to the people who have faith. And that's where total depravity comes in, to bring this kind of full circle, is that you have to start with the presupposition of total depravity, that man is not able or not willing at that point, even probably more, um, is man is not willing to come to God 
We're not saying that man is as bad as he can be. No, no, no. That's not what total depravity means. Total depravity means that each aspect of the creature is affected by sin, namely humans. And that affects our wills, that affects our moral choices, that affects everything. And when we're in that state, we are classified as children of wrath. Even though Jesus died for people in the future as well as people in the past, up until the point of faith that that forgiveness has been applied, we are children of wrath. And it's not until the, the quote-unquote papers have been signed for adoption. Once you adopt somebody, you can't just give it back. It doesn't work like that. Um, but once you have that adoption, once you're in that state of being, so to say, everything changes at that point. And, and when it, to say that Jesus, you know, and that's, that, that, that's what we have to answer. People who say that, you know, I, 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 just, I, I just love Jesus. I don't care about theology. I just love Jesus. Answer the simple question, who is Jesus? And you're digging into theology. I know that may be overused a little bit, but it's true nonetheless. But I, I like what you said, J.D., about I'm a biblicist, right? Like, I, I just, just show me what the Bible says. I want to do that. I, I want to show you and everyone listening what the Bible, because the Bible does speak on this subject. Um, it, it speaks of who Jesus died for. And it's found in John chapter 10 and verse 11. Jesus says he, he has just given a, uh, uh, he, he's talking to Pharisees, he's talking to all kinds of groups of people, and he's giving them parables now. Um, one being that he is a good shepherd, one who cares for the flock. But he says this, very interesting words from Jesus. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not a shepherd and does not own sheep, sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and runs away. So the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. He runs away. Now listen, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. There's that word know, which is really interesting. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So Jesus is talking about knowing these particular individuals, and he even says how he knows them. He says, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, this is different than just mere head knowledge. This is a relationship that is being established between two or more people. It's a knowledge that Jesus has of the Father that no one else has, and he says, I know my own, just like I know the Father and that knows me. He knows them personally. Verse 16 says, I have other sheep that do not come from this sheepfold. I must bring them to, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 17, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own free will. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Jesus says who he comes to die for, and that's the sheep, the people, the people who are not of this sheepfold. He's making a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Any theologian, well, Reformed theologian, we recognize that, that there is a, con a, a disconnect between Jews and Gentiles. Granted that there are spiritual Jews, and, that, and that's a completely different subject, but children of faith and children not, um, there, there's a distinction between the Jewish 
people as a nation and Gentiles. Granted, they make up one church, but there's still a distinction between the two. Um, and that's who I recognize and who a lot of people who would agree with me recognize that is who Jesus is talking about in this. I have other sheep that do not come from the sheepfold. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. J.D., do you want to comment on that? or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah. these are these are the classic texts that are that are used to support uh, definite atonement. And actually, I end up I had a recently I had a uh, debate uh, defending on on my channel Theology Corner uh, defending uh, the um, definite atonement. And I went to these uh, very scriptures uh, because they they are strong. I mean, here he Jesus says that he lays down his life for the sheep. And yes. what makes that, which tells you who he died for, he died for his sheep, who are sheep, the believers from Jew and Gentile, exactly like you said. But what makes this text particularly strong is verse 26 and says, talk, talking about to the uh, Pharisees, to the Jews who didn't believe him, says, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep right. hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So when you add these right. two things together, they seem to be teaching definite atonement. Namely, I lay my life down for the sheep. Positive statement. Negative statement, you are not my sheep. Conclusion, he did not lay his life down for yeah. you. Um, yeah. That that seems to be a, a valid argument. Um, and you can definitely see why—and here's what I'll say. Mm -hmm. For those who don't believe in definite atonement— I hope you can at least see why people would believe in definite atonement sure. if they believe that Christ actually did something and, and, and eliminated sins in his body on the tree. And then we go to these scriptures and they start saying things like this, like Christ died for his sheep and you're not my sheep. This yeah. leads people not trying to just be slaves to tradition to say, God, definite atonement is the biblical doctrine um, and, and, and what God did. So, so, I, so I, I definitely think um, I, I definitely think that, that this text uh, leans that way and suggests that. And I, I just say this, I just had a conversation with my pastor the other day, and I always tell people, be biblical. And even yeah. if your system is wrong, right, you're just going to be limited damage. Okay, yeah. so I'm saying that you have to, ex don't explain away these texts is what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. Recognize that this text is specifically Christ is wanting his sheep to know, I laid my life down for the sheep. Mm -hmm. So you ha don't, don't just uh, try to wiggle around that, just accept that and then try to figure out how all that fits into the rest of your theological system. Right, and part of being biblical is to be able to say that, hey, I'm wrong. You know, I, 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 maybe I thought about this once one way, you know, but I understand now that Scripture is actually telling me something else. We have to be willing to be humble at this point, and we do too. J.D. and I have to too. If we're wrong about this, right, there's massive implications to it, but we want to understand. God said that he is patient and wanting us, the church, people, believers, to come to repentance. Why? Because we're always in an act of repenting. Second Peter 3, 9, we can get into that subject later, um, if need be at a later date. Um, but the, the point is that we are in a constant state of repentance. Why? Because we're in a constant—believers now. Believers are in a constant state of changing and, and change and becoming more like Christ. I want to look real quick in the, in the minutes that we got left. John chapter 9. Um, this is right after Jesus makes mud for the blind kid, and they keep saying, you know— well, how, who made you, you know, see? Who made you be able to see? And get, the guy was like, I told you, Jesus, you know. So they brought in his parents. And they said, he's of age, you know, he'll tell you. Because they were, you know, afraid of associating Messiahship with Jesus. So the guy was like, Jesus did it, you know. Um, but anyway, long story short, I, I, I want to show you what Jesus 
says here at the end of that. In, in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. So the Pharisees had thrown out this blind guy. So, so he found the man and said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man replied, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus told him, You have seen him. He is the one speaking with you. For judgment I have come into this world, so that those who do not see may gain their sight, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and asked him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus replied, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now, because you claim that you see, your guilt remains. Point being, there's people who are under sin, people whose guilt remains, and there are people who have been forgiven, who will see the truth, who will see Jesus as he is. And then the very next chapter, 11 verses later, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I don't think you can be any clearer uh, at that. So, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know the argument at that point. Um, b because it just seems so clear, um, you know, and, and I guess people could say, well, they're just giving proof text. But, but when you have so many quote-unquote proof texts, and they all seem to be pointing to the same thing, we, we have to be able to be biblically accurate, especially when evangelizing, right? Because we, we get the concept of evangelizing from the gospel and from the Bible itself. So we have to understand what the Bible says to be able to evangelize. And if we're evangelizing wrong, I think that's going to really affect, you know, the reason that we're not seeing some, you know, or a bunch of false conversions and maybe not even conversions at all. Yeah, I definitely agree. I guess I would I would just say I, are we are we about to kind of closing up here? Is that um, sounds like you're? Do we have just a little yeah, bit of time? Yeah, I would I would guess yeah. we have less than ten somewhere on ten minutes. Unfortunately, I've lost connection to our to our studio machine, so we're kind of we're kind of driving autopilot. But okay, okay, yeah, I, I would I would say to me I, I definitely I hear what you're saying, uh, Tyler, and I, I agree. Um, for me that remember i was just saying that we need to be balanced and biblical and to me here yeah. are the the two major concerns from the limited atonement and the unlimited atonement camp we both want to say that when we give the gospel it's a genuine offer you hear the, the unlimited atonement guys constantly <laughs> um crying not, i don't want to say crying that sounds like derogatory but constantly mm -hmm. emphasizing um that that they believe that the limited atonement or definite atonement people uh, make the gospel call uh, disingenuous. And we desperately don't want to say, yeah, this is a disingenuous call when it comes to the, the non-elect. Um, and, and so right. that's something that we don't want. And then for the unlimited atonement guys, uh, for, the, for the definite atonement, we always want to emphasize, yes, and something definite, something actually what happened on the cross that accomplished our redemption. He removed it all. He took off sins away. He did something definite and something actual on the cross. And those are the two uh, tensions um, that, that really um, always have to be balanced, and we have to figure out how those two uh, realities work, right? And, and for me, it, just briefly here, the way my answer to the how is it if Christ only died uh, for the elect, how is it that the gospel call is genuine when it comes to the non-elect, when we just give it to everyone irrespective of their election because we don't know their elect? And my answer to that sure. is the gospel call is conditional. That's what it is. 
the gospel mm-hmm. call doesn't say if you're elect, uh, then you'll be effectually graced and and you're going to be saved because you've been predestined from the foundation of the world. That's not. Right. No one preaches the gospel that way. And if you do, repent because that's mm-hmm. not how the gospel was preached by the apostles, and and that's not how it's presented. The, the gospel call is. Remember when the Philippian jailer said, "What shall I yep. do to be saved?" The response wasn't, "Well, you can't do anything. It doesn't matter, and it's just about this uh, unconditional election." No, the the gospel call was repent and believe. Believe in the gospel, and you and your family will be saved. That's a conditional statement, right? To believe in the gospel. So I'm trying to say is, man, I want to thank you, JD, for coming on. We're out of time, unfortunately. We'll continue this conversation sometime. For those just tuning in, you missed it. (laughs) But check us out at www.completecenters.com. We'll see you next week. Peace.